0: It's time for News Talk 720 KDWN's Ask the Expert Hour. Have a question? Call now, 702-257-KDWN. That's 702-257-5396.
1: Welcome to Ask the Experts. My name is Brian Black. I'm here with Brian Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Happy New Year.
0: Happy new New Year to you! It's good to start a new year.
1: Did you have an exciting party-filled New Year, or was it more of a family-focused, quiet New Year?
0: With uh, my wife and I, it was uh, more of a family affair.
1: Yeah, I think we, we did the same thing too. We decided. I had a friend who um, who called me up and said, "Hey, we've got to, we've got a reserved space at uh, Brooklyn Bowl. It's only two hundred and fifty dollars a person." And I said, "No," <laughs> because that's too much to pay to be anywhere. Honestly. I don't know. Anyway, well, happy new year to you. Uh, we are discussing this week on Ask the Experts. Um, you know, as a, as a parent, I have to sign a lot of forms and, uh, for my children, and one of the, every one of them always says, parent or guardian. And We're going to discuss guardianship this week because there's, there's things that people may not know about guardianship uh, that have uh, affected some of the topics that we've discussed in past weeks here on Ask the Experts. Uh, we thought it might be in, uh, informative to be able to discuss what guardianship means and how it has changed over the years. Can you, can you please give us just a quick rundown of what a legal guardian is?
0: legal guardian is a person that's appointed by the government, the, the state, To have certain legal rights to make decisions for the ward, Mm -hmm. whether the ward is a a minor or whether they are uh, adults. At some time, they have a need for someone taking over the responsibility for, for them because they can't make decisions or properly take care of themselves.
1: How do you become a ward? What what circumstances might lead to you becoming a ward? Are you a ward of the state at that point?
0: You become, it's, uh, you, some people say that you're a ward of the state, mm-hmm. but, but you're uh, really a, a ward uh, with a guardian, a person that uh, the government, the courts have felt, uh, would be the proper person to make those decisions for you and keep you in line.
1: Mm-hmm. Is a guardianship something that you can establish in your will? So, can you say, I want my brother Bob to be the guardian of my children?
0: Generally, you don't do it by will because by the time the will becomes effective mm-hmm. is when you die. Right. Well, once you die, there's no longer a guardianship. Mm-hmm. So generally, you would uh, declare who you want to be your guardian in some other kind of a document. Right. And most of the time, people will say, if a guardian is needed, then um, I appoint so-and-so. And they generally put that in what's known as a durable power of attorney. Okay. But if And that's person, for yourself. If a person is is has done that, there's a certain amount of planning. And if you plan with durable powers of attorney... Most likely, you don't have to get to the point where there's going to be a guardian. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> with an imp- with a minor child, uh, a parent will generally put someone into their will saying, I want brother so-and-so to be the guardian of my children, my minor children, if right. I were to pass away. So in that sense, a parent can name who they want to be the guardian. Now, just because they've named... The brother to be the guardian, they're not necessarily going to be appointed. That guardianship has to start by going through the courts, and mm-hmm. then they have to qualify. Uh, for instance, they couldn't could not have been a child abuser. Right. If it's a minor child, uh, they couldn't be dishonest and stealing money from elderly or right. abusing. Young people, whatever. So they have to qualify, but generally the courts will follow the uh, direction of the parent in their will. Well,
1: unless you have like an extensive criminal record or something that yeah. really sticks out, the, the, the will probably holds true.
0: Yes, for a minor child, it, it, it will generally hold true, but oftentimes guardianships are established while the parent is still alive. For whatever reason, the parent from the standpoint of the state, they should no longer have the right to this particular child. Right. And so the child needs someone to watch over them. Let's say it's a grandparent or or an aunt or an uncle or <clears throat> some other friend that will step up to the plate to be the guardian. And when they do that, then they need certain powers to perform.
1: So um, what... What circumstances could lead to an adult requiring a guardian appointed by the state?
0: Incapacity. They can get hit by the proverbial golf ball and mm-hmm. and not have capacity to act for themselves. They become <clears throat> um, sub, you know, susceptible to undue influence or dress or whatever, mm-hmm. being taken advantage of. And oftentimes <clears throat> excuse me, if they don't have a durable power of attorney, there are some organizations in the state um, uh, senior protective services, for instance, mm-hmm. will step in and they will hear from a neighbor or whatever saying this person needs needs something because you know someone's taking advantage of them. So Senior Protective Services will come in and and do a little investigation and say, hey, you need a guardian. And then they will look around to see if there's any family that that could perform that function. And if there's not, then we have in uh, the government uh, what's known as the public guardian. Mm -hmm. And the government will try to protect that ward and the public guardian will step up to the plate, make a petition for them to be appointed the guardian. And then they will take over and uh, direct the affairs of the ward.
1: So if you're concerned about somebody who has apparently lost their capacity to make their decisions wisely or has come under influence and you're, you're a third party, the correct thing to do is to call Senior Protective Services. Is that right?
0: Well, no. No. <clears throat> um, generally senior protective services is are, are people that try to protect seniors mm-hmm. and they don't get involved unless they feel as though they're they need protection. Mm-hmm. And they don't need protection. And senior protective service is not a Gestapo type of a group that knows everybody in the community and right. and wants to protect everybody. Mm-hmm. But they get involved when there is a complaint or something like this, and then they put into motion or attempt to put into motion uh, a guardianship arrangement so that family... Can take over. Friends can take over. And if there isn't anyone that can take over that guardianship position, then the public guardian can step in.
1: So, what's the the function of the public guardian? I mean, uh, is there just one? Is there is it just a is it an office? Is it is it a bunch of guys that uh, that oversee this
0: no, it's situation? A, uh, the the guardian uh, guardianship commissioner. It's an organization. At one time, it. Um, all came under one uh, judge that would be the judge of guardianship and probate mm-hmm. and because of the this you know community increasing in size the way they did it evolved into there being a guardianship commissioner and a pro, uh, probate commissioner and so they've they bifurcated that and so each one has their own function and when someone needs a guardian and there's no one there that can do it, then they step up to the plate, petition the court, and then they become the guardian just like any other individual.
1: When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the role of the guardian guardianship commissioner uh, in our ju- uh, judicial system. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe, give us a call at 702-257-5396. We'll be right back on Ask the Experts. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. I'm talking to Brian Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. We're talking about guardianship today. If you have a question about guardianship or the office of the guardianship commissioner, give us a call at 702-257-5396. So, as I understand it, um, uh, there, there once was a time when uh, guardianship was overseen by judges, just like every other uh, judicial decision. And then there was there came a time when they decided to combine all of this under one office of the guardianship commissioner, Correct.
0: For guardianships, yes.
1: And then what happened?
0: Well, it worked for a number of years, and they did a—from from my standpoint, they mm-hmm. did a good job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the guardianship commissioner was a person that had guardianship experience and background, mm-hmm. and— So they came to the job knowing a little bit about guardianship, a lot more than most people. Right. And a little more than most attorneys. And so they stepped in and they ran that guardianship office. All the petitions for guardianship came through them. Uh, The decisions were made by the guardianship commissioner. If there was any appeal any guardianship decisions that were made by the commissioner they it would be appealed to a uh, one of our judges elected right. judge and that was uh, kind of the appeals court for the commissioner and things moved along
1: and now was this uh, an elected position or an appointed position It's an appointed position yes. And uh, is it uh, was the commissioner was he an attorney was he a judge was he uh, or she what was their background
0: generally they were individuals who had background knowledge and experience in the guardianship area.
1: Okay, so they they had worked somewhere in the field.
0: Somewhere in the field because the the judges who were responsible for filling that position wanted someone that understood guardianship and
1: mm-hmm. could do a good job. Okay. So there was a, it worked for a while and then 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 something something changed because it's no longer there anymore.
0: Well, what happened was you know, everyone has a perspective, their own perspective, based upon what they see. And there were some who felt that there were some abuses in the guardianship area. Mm-hmm. And um, I never saw any abuses in the guardianship commissioner's office. Okay. I, uh, when I would go into court uh, with a ward uh, and the Proposed guardian, I always felt that the guardianship commissioner was always interested in the ward. Right. What was best for the ward, and if the ward felt like they needed representation, he would he would continue the the case so that they they'd be able to get their own attorney. Right. They he would uh, uh, do everything that he could to protect the ward, but. I understand, I don't know what there was and what raised all the issues, but it became a real issue, both in the press and and in the community, that this guardianship arrangement wasn't working, when in fact it was working, there right. were just a few, a few abuses. And so the, the judges decided, well, let's do away with this commissioner now and let's put a uh, an elected judge mm-hmm. uh, on the bench to oversee these guardianships and to make all those decisions.
1: Well, that doesn't seem like such a bad idea. I mean, if he's he's an elected official, he's, he's a judge, he's just in charge of, of guardianships, what's the difference?
0: Well, there can be a difference. Oftentimes the judges have—there are some judges that are elected that— uh, never practice law they just ran for office because right. they were had passed the bar and they can mm-hmm. now be a judge okay and so there you find some of these other judges may have practiced law in various areas and some of them never practiced in the area of guardianship or probate or or in any kind of a business, family law family or, law or yeah. whatever and so they come in and they're, they have to learn the rules, and right. they have to learn everything. So when you had the commissioner, you they were able to find someone in the community that had that background, knowledge, and experience. that could start off and run it knowing what all the nuances were. And now with the, the judge doing it, the judge is now having to learn the whole guardianship program and sitting on the bench making decisions, et cetera, et cetera, and... And learning how to uh, take a look at the petitions, keep their eye on what's going on with uh, um, the guardianships, past guardianships, and mm-hmm. that. And, and so there's a there's a learning curve, and hopefully in the long run, maybe it'll work better. Uh, there is one thing that the judges have done though, is that they have uh, decided that they were going to bring all of the past guardianships that were laid in doing their reports or their accountings, and they wanted everyone to come in and have their day before the judge, and so they were all subpoenaed to come in. And so there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of old cases that were brought back into court, and some of these cases were... Uh, cases where the guard, the ward had died 10 years ago. Right. And there was no report in the last 10 years. So it's so since there was no report, they wanted to get these guardians back in and they, uh, sent out a citation to them to, to get in or bad things would happen to them. And so for a while, there has been a real, uh, uh, circus in the, uh, in the guardianship area. But, you know, that they're getting through that process and uh, bringing everything up to date. And I I don't think that they're going to find as many abuses as what they thought they would.
1: Now, when did this change take place?
0: Oh, in the last uh, six, eight months.
1: Oh, okay. Somehow. I didn't yeah. realize it was this yeah. recent. Yeah. So uh, it seems strange to me that they wouldn't be able to just investigate the records of the commissioner's office and determine uh they felt like they needed to start from the ground up on every case and i mean it just seems odd now is this just one judge handling all of this or is it a panel of judges
0: well there's one judge that handles the uh, adult uh wards and mm-hmm. that's the primary one that we have dealt with and then there's uh, other judges that handle the uh guardianships for minor children.
1: And is this all they do, or do they carry a case? I mean, do they hear cases as well, like a a regular judge would?
0: They oftentimes will hear other cases,
1: yes. Hmm. Interesting. Most of the time they will. Let me ask you this. When they decided to change away from the, the office of the commissioner um, for guardianship, did they dismantle the whole apparatus? Did they get rid of the whole office, or is the support staff still there? Uh, are you aware? You know what I'm saying? I mean, did they get rid of everything and then just put it in the office of the judges? What do you What do you know about that?
0: It was up to the, the judge, and the judge at first wanted to hear just about everything that was going on with each ward. And mm-hmm. so when— you were cited into court, you came in and and she would want to listen to the story. Right. But when you have hundreds and hundreds and people standing out in, in the hall and mm-hmm. take you can't take, you know, an hour with each case. You've got sure. to, well, yeah, you got to be there's... able to move it on. Right. And, and so there's this learning curve and it's getting more efficient.
1: Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. So um, the 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 system has changed, whether it worked before or not, uh, it's it's changed now. What does that mean for people who uh, need to be appointed a guardian at this time?
0: Well, it's the process is the same. One thing that uh, I have always felt was important, and, and our past uh, guardianship commissioner has always always felt that that was important, too, that the ward always has an opportunity to, to have their own attorney mm-hmm. because when the attorney comes in, who is the attorney representing? Is the attorney representing the proposed guardian, the mm-hmm. petitioner in this case? Right. Or are they representing the ward? And the attorney can't represent two because that would be a conflict of interest. Right. So, you know, I've always felt that it was important for uh, a person, if they are ward, that they have some representation. Uh because generally the attorney will be representing the, the petitioner, the, the proposed guardian. And, and I think that uh, um, the Supreme Court and some of their discussions with the local judges and that have also felt that that's important. So one thing that I have, have proposed uh, is that my, uh, my, the wards when i represent the the guardian right that they that we have their own attorney come in and represent them and make sure that their interest is being represented and not just the interest of the guardian hopefully it's it's the same sure but that is where the conflict came up that's when we started having problems uh and all of these abuses that you hear about it was because some of the wards didn't feel like they were being Properly represented.
1: Well, we can talk a little bit more about these alleged abuses when we come back. If you have a question about guardianship for Brian Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, give us a call at 702-257-5396. We'll be back on Ask the Experts in just a moment. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. I'm Brian Black talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, and we're discussing guardianship in Clark County. Uh, there was a, a big to-do about eight months ago, um, and uh, we've been talking about the change from the having a guardianship commissioner to having a, a commission of guardianship that's headed up by uh, a, a team of judges mm-hmm. in Clark County. And um, I was looking at a review journal article here that says that uh, this was all all started by a series of Las Vegas review journal articles that were citing some alleged abuses in the office that was previously in charge of guardianships in Clark County. Um, and one of the things, it's a, it's a new idea to me, was that they were alleging abuses by, uh, by I guess by lack of oversight of people serving as a private professional guardian. And I don't really understand what that is. Can you tell me what a professional guardian is.
0: Well, oftentimes when a, when an individual needs a guardian, Mm -hmm. who's, who's going to be the guardian. Right. And the first thought is, well, maybe a family member, but maybe some of these family members are really not interested in taking on that responsibility. And so they kind of avoid it and they, they don't want to petition. In other cases, there could be uh, siblings, yes, I will do it, and another sibling says, "No, I'll do it," and there are sibling rivalries that uh, that crop up, and so y- they just can never uh, uh, decide who should be the petitioner and and become the guardian. Right. So they start looking. Well, who can be the guardian?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we don't want the guardianship commission commissioner to do it because. That's government. I, we don't. We want something, someone private, someone that that is responsible to us and not just to the government. And so, they have wanted people, individuals, to be guardians. And when a person starts doing this and they gain a reputation for being a guardian, then other people want them. And so, pretty soon, this individual can be asked to be a guardian many, many times. Right. And so. You know, in the society, in the court system, they felt that it was important that anyone that was a guardian and doing many cases mm-hmm. um, should be uh, trained, should pass certain requirements to be able to put themselves out as a a guardian,
1: and so this is something that they decided at the at the time that they changed. The system six uh, six to eight months ago, or are we no. talking about something before that that this, they, they had a written test, I believe.
0: Yes, this this dates back uh, years. Okay, mm-hmm. and
1: so uh, these these uh, that was is was the county commission uh, that seems to be the the impetus behind this change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Commissioner Tom Collins uh, said during a meeting that he had had to intervene when he found that one of his friends, uh, the grandmother, was. Uh, being represented by a private professional guardian when, in fact, his, uh, her grandson wanted to be the guardian, and he had to step in somehow. And that's one of the things that, that caused this, this investigation uh, that ended up changing the entire system. Um, so, it, when somebody's a, a professional guardian, what do they have to do now? What, what's, the, what's the change that a professional guardian has to do? Is there more strict requirements?
0: No, the the requirements are the same, and mm-hmm. that's to to take over the responsibility of watching over a ward. Mm-hmm. And they have a fiduciary responsibility to do so. And when they take over that responsibility, if they're named the guardian of the person, that means that maybe the person will take care of their own financial affairs. But they need someone to be able to make decisions f- for their person, like uh, medical and dental and you know, all of these things. Right. And so a person can be named to the guardian of the person. Then there's the other side, the guardian of the estate. Well, the person who is handling all the financial affairs, they have all of these burdens of, of invest, taking the property, properly managing it. And sometimes that means that they have to sell property. Let's say they're going to sell the ward's house Mm -hmm. because the ward needs to stay in an assisted living facility. And that's the least expensive way of of taking care of that individual. Right. So they're going to sell the house. The unfortunate thing is maybe the house was in the will to go to a certain sibling. Right. And now you're going to sell that house and that sibling now was not going to inherit that house. And so there were, there are all these nuances in, in watching over an individual and making those decisions. And, you know, there's a lot of mistrust. Of course. Even among siblings. Sure. There's a lot of mistrust. Oh, they're stealing or they're abusing my mother or they're whatever. Right. And so there, most of these abuses were, um, Perceived, right? There were some abuses that I'm sure were real. I don't know the full facts of those, mm-hmm. but I do know that it brought about uh, some individuals that have been prominent in this area of guardianship to stand back and withdraw or be removed.
1: So, so we're talking about we're talking about mainly financial abuses, where so where apparently these. Uh, the The accusation was that the professional guardians were somehow diverting money from their wards. That's yes. what we're talking When we say the word abuse, I just wanted to kind of clear up there. that We were, talking, were not talking about physical abuse or anything like that, or at least to my knowledge, correct?
0: Well, sometimes people would perceive that there was physical abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you hear so much about these abuses, and and as an attorney, I would go out and look at my my clients and say, you know, is there any abuse here? And and we'd try to follow up and make sure that all the accountings were done properly, et cetera. And from my perspective, I didn't see the abuses, but there must have been some because there has been
1: change. So when somebody is a private professional guardian, uh, this is an interesting topic to me. Uh, when you, the word professional means they get paid to do it. Uh, yes, that's they what they do for a living. How does that happen? What does that is it is it uh, like a percentage? Is it a, is it a, a fee? Is it a is it like an attorney? Is it per hour? What's
0: it's uh, reasonable and ordinary fees. You mm-hmm. you can't expect someone to become a guardian and do all the things that a guardian does because there's an old saying no good deed goes unpunished sure and particularly when you're a guardian or a personal administrator of an estate or a trustee of a trust Mm -hmm. it really gets to be a hassle because everyone perceives something is wrong
1: sure there's money and there's feelings involved that's right
0: and so they um uh it's it's a difficult job. Oh, absolutely for the, for the guardian.
1: So it's just it's just fees like any any uh, any professional service.
0: Yes, and it, it should be reasonable and and customary type of fees if a if a person is appointed a guardian that has a lot of knowledge, background and experience maybe their fee would be a little higher right. than someone who has less experience and less knowledge and background in the area.
1: Just like a, a doctor, a dentist. Uh, Correct. Do. Okay. Yeah.
0: So if you have a professional person that is acting as the guardian, you can't expect them to spend 20 hours a month in doing the guardianship work for and taking themselves out of their own practices or their own businesses without being compensated. So that is really taken care of by a petition to the court and asking the court for a fee for the service that has been rendered. And then the court determines if they feel that that is reasonable.
1: So, when somebody's a private professional guardian, uh, are these fees regulated by the government in any way, or is it uh, more more of an like industry self regulation? Well,
0: uh, you just don't reach in and take money out a, of a an individual's account mm-hmm. without getting it approved by the court. Okay. So there are petitions that that are made to the court, mm-hmm. and the judge then will say, "Yeah, I approve this." Uh, this report or this accounting and the payment of fees.
1: So uh, it seems as if all of this change, as we've discussed before in the commission of the uh, of the guardianship commissioner, is due to what was perceived to be lack of oversight of professional guardians. Uh, so what has been changed with this new system? Like you say, they've brought in every old case and attempted to hear them. Uh, what it, What's changed?
0: Well, I think with the disturbance in the force. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they felt we need to make sure that the proper reports and accountings are being done. And they go through the list. The list, thousands of people that uh, that have been or uh, wards. Mm-hmm. And the court knows nothing about them. And they see that an accounting or report has not been done for several years. And so... They want that accounting and report, and that's what brings about, uh, you know, everyone coming in and having to come before the judge and make a report.
1: When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about guardianship in Clark County. You're listening to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. If you have a question for us, give us a call at 257-5396. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KBWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, and we're talking about guardianship. It sounds like there's been a lot of change this past year. Uh, There was a guardianship commissioner in place for Clark County, and it turns out that some people perceived that that uh, was not working for us, so we've changed the entire system. We've... Uh, brought every old case back into the courts. There seems to be a, a lot going on as far as guardianship goes in Clark County. It's
0: been very busy in the guardianship courts, yes.
1: so I, as as an attorney, as a, an estate planning attorney, as a, a probate attorney, uh, how would you advise someone to just stay out of the system? Isn't that the best the best alternative is to never even get to the point where you have to be appointed a guardian?
0: Well, yes. And, um, it's like, never get old. I don't want to get old, <laughs> right? No, the alternative to that is death. right. So you always have to plan that at some point there could be a probability mm-hmm. that you need someone to take over as a guardian or as your attorney in fact, under a durable power of attorney. right. Now, if you go the guardianship route, then it will be the courts that will determine who the guardians are going to be, right. And that may not be someone that you trust or someone that uh, is going to treat you well or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you decide that you're going to plan around this and you do a durable power of attorney, properly drafted uh, for medical and for financial, Mm -hmm. then you are the one that chooses the person who will take over and make those decisions in the event that you cannot do it. And that does not mean that they have to go to court and get the court court's approval to accomplish what you uh, you want them to do. Now, of course, you compare the two: durable power of attorney or courts. If you go to the court, you have a judge, appointed judge or an elected judge. I mean, that will ultimately make all the decisions as far as fees, as far as. Uh, the sale of real property, mm-hmm. the, uh, what's going to happen to the ward. With a durable power of attorney, you're giving the individual that you have chosen and who maybe have expressed an interest in, in taking care of that for you, and they make all the decisions without having to get a lawyer to go to court and get hearings before a judge and making decisions, etc. Well,
1: Well, and, and one thing that's always important to remember in all of our discussions is going to court costs money. It does so if you if you get thrown into the system, so to speak, and uh, every single time you talk to a judge, that's going to cost something.
0: Yes, there's a hearing. and when there's a hearing, the with the guardianship courts, the the uh, uh, guardianship judge is tried to bend over backwards to help people that are going in in proper person or right or representing themselves, and so maybe they can get by. Uh, without giving, I mean, do, having too many legal fees. Mm-hmm. But in these cases, the judge has been spending a lot of time in trying to educate these guardians who really don't understand the law and what needs to be done. And oftentimes, the judge will will be practicing law over the the bench right, right. to try to assist them. And so it's, that really backs up the courts. I mean, as an attorney, you get used to going in and taking care of your case very quickly because everything is done with the, uh, with your accountings and reports and mm-hmm. your petitions, et cetera. And everyone has looked at it, and every uh, all the children have had an opportunity to, to take a look at it, and if they object to it, then they can come before the court and object. So... Um, you, you, it can be expensive
1: but and complex, regardless and complex, of the expense. Yes. So the what you know it seems is without planning, you get put into a system where every question requires an official answer. Uh, It sounds like to me
0: Uh, the big decisions. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, you said
1: before, when a professional guardian uh, is is submitting their fees, you know, they have to ask the court. Can I do this? This is, is this acceptable? Whereas if with proper planning, you set up a durable power of attorney in advance, you outline everything. It's reviewed to see if it meets the letter of the law. And then that's it that's correct the person who is your attorney in fact you know whether it's your brother Bob or your wife or your your son or whoever it ends up being that person has the power to execute any decision that is outlined in that durable power of attorney
0: that is correct and, and sometimes so oh go ahead and sometimes those durable powers of attorney get to be lengthy mm-hmm. uh, you know if I see a durable power of attorney a financial durable power of attorney that's only a couple of pages long I think whoa you know <laughs> if there is any problem at all most likely will have to back up mm-hmm. and go to the guardianship court because we don't have the power and right to do something. Right. So in in the durable powers of attorney, they should be written in such a way that it covers just about every circumstance. Not that you're going to get every circumstance, but you want to make sure that you cover most of them.
1: And, and if you're going to do this, it's I, I guess it's it's kind of like taking care of, of yourself physically, you know. Um, you can wait until you're old and there's 100 things wrong with you, and then you can try to fix those things individually, or you can spend a little bit of time during your life taking care of yourself and avoiding those problems uh, in a medical sense.
0: That is correct. And, and uh, probably a 99% of the time, uh, you save money by properly planning
1: now that's an important point, especially when you're talking about uh, when you're like you say you've reached your majority and you're you're you know you're at a point where you're possibly on a fixed income. Uh, you're you've made as much money as you're going to make during your life. Uh, that's you know the, the, a small amount of money can make a bigger difference at that point in your life. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yes, but you always have to be careful, just like uh, deciding who's going to be the trustee of your trust mm-hmm. or the personal representative of your estate or the attorney, in fact, under your durable power of attorney, it's it's a matter of trust. And it's very, very important that you spend a lot of time in figuring out who you trust to do this. Right. Because it's when you don't have the ability to make those changes that someone else, that other person is going to step up to the plate. Right. And and perform. Mm-hmm. And you've got to trust that person that will do
1: it. Well, yeah, you may have a, a, a sister who's a very smart and competent person, but just can't say no to people. And you need somebody who's, who is, who is a decision maker. You know, it might be, you know, it might be somebody that uh, has the best business sense or is the, the, you know, the person that would behave as, as you would behave. That's yeah, a complex it, decision.
0: You take, uh, I mean, there was a situation here not long ago where the, the uh, uh, the one client was deceased. They had just died. Mm-hmm. The other client was having... Uh, needed someone to protect them. Right. Because they were susceptible to um, abuse. Right. And so all of a sudden the children were saying, well, dad used to pay for all of this and dad used to do this and dad, 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 dad. Mm -hmm. And so after the death of dad and mom is there and she has her needs and she has to take care of herself for her life, but is subject to, to abuse. And so someone has to to be able to say no. Right. Mom is no longer going to do this and this and this and this that dad used to do. We're going to cut back because we've got to protect mom. And so, as you say, you've got to have someone that is strong enough to say no to even their own siblings. Right.
1: That's tough, and well, you know, and as we say, we're talking about establishing a durable power of attorney, um, and that's not something to be taken lightly. You're not going to download this off the internet and get it right, uh, unless you're a very, very smart person. Which more power to you if you are. Um, but uh, somebody that you could talk to, and it's a free consultation, Brian A. Lowe and Associates. The number to call is 702-259-0002. If you find yourself in a situation where you think that this may become applicable to you, uh, then you can make a, a phone call and set up an appointment. It doesn't cost anything, correct?
0: The initial consultation it does not cost anything, that's and wh-
1: correct. And what do you talk about in that initial consultation?
0: We talk about what is really needed. Mm-hmm. They come in. Some people say, well, we need to set up a guardianship. I say, well, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. And so they explain to me what the problem is. And I say, well, actually, uh, you know, your your parents still have the capacity to handle their own affairs. Mm-hmm. Now's not the time to go in and try to declare that they are incompetent. Right. So, you know, we... we make some initial decisions Uh, and then we tell them what has to be done, if something needs to be done, and if something needs to be done, how much it would cost to do it. But uh, there's no fee before that.
1: And, you know, the the thing about it is, is how many of these have you handled? Thousands. Thousands of cases over 30 years in the business here in Las Vegas. Correct. And that's the sort of thing that you're looking for when you want to talk to somebody about this, is that you want somebody who's seen... Virtually every uh, variable, every 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 choice that needs to be made before, and rather than trying to muddle your way through it decision by decision, you talk to somebody who's who's seen it before and knows how to at least start with a basic framework and work their you know work their way down to the specific matters of the case. Correct. Correct. So you know, if if you have anyone in your family that is is possibly in need of a guardianship. Give Brian A. And Associates a call, 702-259-0002. I'm, excuse me, a durable power of attorney. I say a guardianship. Either You're, way. That's right. Well, Either you know, whatever way. you need. Talk to somebody who cares about you, has the judgment to know when to step in, when to step out. Brian A. And Associates. & Associates will be back next Monday on Ask the Experts. Thanks for talking to me, Brian. Thank you, Brian.